Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Today we're going to continue our series on pursuit. But we are going to be moving into the next phase, if you will, of our pursuit of God. This is the pursuit of His power. And the first thing that I want to make really clear again here today is that when we talk about these three pursuits of his people, his promise, and his power, each one of these are actually, in a larger context, simply the pursuit of God. And that each one of these, the pursuit of his people, his promise, and his power, they actually all work together. And without the other, they they don't hold the same amount of power that they would. Because if we want to know more about God, the natural response is that we are going to go deeper into his word and his promise. The deeper that we go into his promise, into his word, the more that we realize that we are called to walk in his power, to be representations of Jesus here on earth. And when we do that, then we realize that when we walk in his power, the purpose really is to be able to pursue those that he is in pursuit of. For God so loved the world that he sent his Son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. We are called to walk in accordance with his promise, to be able to walk in his power, to be able to pursue and to bring his people back into his kingdom. Amen? Okay, so this morning we are going to look at this pursuit of power, and we're going to take a little bit of a journey through the book of Genesis quickly, en route to the book of Exodus. And there are a few examples in here that I felt that we needed to cover here today, because we're going to be answering not just one question, but a few questions. Ultimately, though, our purpose today is to find out what is the source of the power that we are meant to be in pursuit of? What is the source of the power that we are meant to be in pursuit of? And so in order to do this, we are going to answer four specific questions. We're going to answer the first question, which is, who is the one who spoke the word? That's an important question. If you're going to believe something, you need to know who has spoken the word. Last week, as we concluded our pursuit of the promise We said that the most important thing that we have to know in regards to his power is what he has already spoken. And the reason for this is quite simple. It's because a word is only as powerful as the one who has spoken it. In my life, in your life, our word is only as powerful as the one who is going to bring it to pass. The one who is able to not just say something, but then to fulfill it, to do something about it. And we see this very clearly in the book of Genesis. We started with Adam in the very beginning. God said to Adam and to Eve to be fruitful and to multiply, to fill the earth and to subdue it. And they did just that. The only problem is, is that those who filled the earth and subdued it, subdued it, is that a word? Subdued it? They weren't doing a very good job at it. And so God sent the flood and wiped everybody out, but he left Noah and his sons. And then he said the same thing to Noah after the flood. He said, I want you now to be fruitful and to multiply, 
to fill the earth. This is what God spoke, and this is what they did. And then we continue into the book of Genesis uh, a little bit deeper, and we find this man named Abraham. Abraham is the one that God looks to and says, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. I'm going to bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And through you, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. To your descendants, specifically the ones that come through Isaac, I'm going to give this land. And as we continue the story, it looks like everything is working out pretty well. He has Isaac and Isaac has Jacob and Jacob is in the land that he's meant to be in until chapter 41 where we see there's a famine in the land. There's a famine that comes and even still Abraham's descendants are being blessed. But then we find ourselves in chapter 37 and chapters 37 through 50 talk about this man named Joseph. Now we're not going to go too deep into the life of Joseph here today, but Joseph is the one who is favored by his father Jacob. His father loves him more than his other children, and he favors him and his brothers get jealous. God gives Joseph some dreams about his brothers and his family bowing down to him, and the result of this is that his brothers throw him into slavery. They throw him into slavery, but still in the midst of slavery, in the midst of being enslaved and being in prison, God works in his life. He gives him favor in the midst of hardship. And through the most unlikely of situations and scenarios, Joseph actually becomes the second most powerful man in the most powerful nation on earth. And through this, God actually saves his family and other nations because of his obedience. It's this incredible story of God working through the worst situations. God gives Joseph a promise. He gives him these dreams And everything really seems to be going wrong in the midst of it. We said this when we were looking at the life of Abraham, that very often when God speaks a word, that something else is going to be present alongside that word, and it's contradiction. God spoke to Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of many nations, but yet Abraham has no children. That's a contradiction. God gives Joseph a dream about his brothers bowing down to him and and giving him these expectations of this great life, and yet he finds himself imprisoned and enslaved. That's a contradiction. This morning, I want to tell you that if you find yourself in the midst of a difficult situation, to not be surprised when contradiction is very present in the midst of your promise. If you're believing something that God has spoken to you for your life, and yet you see the opposite happening, I want you to be aware that very often this is the contradiction that is present to show you that you're heading in the right direction. This could be the very thing that helps to propel you into the place that God has promised that he would bring you. So number one, we have to ask the question, who has spoken the promise? And number two, we have to ask the question, who or what has come against the word that God has spoken? What is the contradiction? What is the thing that is present to steal away what God has spoken in your life? You see, God continues to work through the children of Israel. He continues to bless them. They continue to multiply. But the contradiction only continues to occur. The people of Israel grow and they multiply in Egypt, 
But then we move out of the book of Genesis and we move into the book of Exodus. And we find that in verse 6 that Joseph dies. Joseph dies, but he's at least given specific instructions about what would come next. He has his children. They're in the best part of Egypt. They're growing and they're flourishing. And then we get to verse 8, which says that Pharaoh dies and there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. This was a problem. Because the new king who did not know Joseph, who did not know what Joseph had done for the nation of Egypt, who did not know who he was and and his character and his strength, now looks at the Hebrew people as a problem because they're growing and they're multiplying. And he thinks to himself, if this continues to happen, they're going to take over. So what Pharaoh does is that he begins to oppress them and to enslave them. He begins to put them to work. And so in the midst of this place where they're still operating in the promise, there is still the contradiction. And and now they have gone from being in a place where they were safe and protected to being enslaved. God was still blessing them, but there is no question that while they were in this place, that this was not God's best for them. This is not what he had promised. He had promised them a land flowing with milk and honey that would be theirs. And yet they find themselves in a land that was very much not their own. He promised that they would be a blessing to the earth. And yet they find themselves enslaved in Egypt. And for me, it's in these moments in our lives where things are not going the way that we would expect them to go. That it often becomes so easy to start to question what God has said. It's in these moments where circumstances seem to speak something completely contrary to what we believed to be true that we start to question not just what he has said, but maybe the very nature of God. To forget his promise and to at times to grow angry with him. This is a natural result and I'm sure for the Israelites this was the case. But this brings us to question number three that we have to ask today, which is whose word is it that we're going to believe. Whose word are we going to believe in the midst of the situations that seem so dark and seem to be in opposition of what we believed? And finally, question number four that we have to ask today is who is responsible to bring God's word and his promise to reality in our lives? These are the questions that we need to ask today. So we look at the power, we look at what is necessary in our lives, we look at these Hebrew people who are in the midst of being enslaved and being in bondage. They are in need of a miracle. They are in need of the power of God to come into a place of reality in their lives. They need an answer and lucky for them, God is aware of their situation. He sees what is going on and he's about to move. But first... We have to answer this question before we answer the question for them. What is the promise that we're believing? As I was preparing this message, I I wasn't sure if this part was really going to fit in here because sometimes it gets a little bit difficult to answer this question. What is the promise we're believing? Because sometimes we know the promise we're, we're believing in and sometimes we don't. But I have to tell you today that no matter where you are in your life, there is a promise that you believe to be true about your life. 
Whatever it is you're going through, wherever you've come from, there is something that you believe to be true. And it's so important before we move any further here this morning that we ask the question, what is it that we really believe? What is it that we believe about ourselves? And what is it that we believe about God? What is the promise that we are standing on? And second, who is the one who made the promise to you? What is the promise you believe, and who is it that made that promise? You see, I think it's important for us to understand what we really believe and to ask the question, how did that belief get there in the first place? Is this promise that you're standing on in your life something that God spoke to you? Or is it something that you have created, adopted, or even something that is simply a fantasy? It's important to ask these questions. I'll give you this example again at my own expense. When I was about 12 years old, I truly believed that I was going to play for the New York Yankees. This was my future. This is who I was going to be. I was going to love God, I was going to serve God, and I was going to play baseball for the New York Yankees. The only problem is, is that this very much was not a God dream. This is very much a me dream, and I had no chance of catching up to a 97-mile-an-hour fastball. So as much as I thought this was true, and I believed it to be true, and if you asked me, I would have said absolutely, the reality of the situation was, was that this was not God's promise. It was my belief. It was my fantasy. And when reality struck, it struck hard. I realized, oh man, this is, this is not really what my future looks like. Who am I going to be now? And I know this is a little bit funny, but there are times in our lives where we believe things to be true based off of something that someone else has said to us, based off of the way that we thought things were going to be or what they thought they were going to look like. There are times that we believe things about our life because of the situations that we found ourselves in. Because we felt the need to take responsibility for somebody else and we've neglected ourselves. There are so many layers to this, but we have to stop and ask the question, what is the promise that I believe and who is the one who spoke it to me? You see, for some of us, we may have dreams and expectations in our lives that are simply not his. They might be ours. And when this is the case, there's a time in which we have to let these things go. Sometimes this is going to be difficult. Sometimes this is going to hurt. This is, there are situations where the things that we have been believing may have been good, but they have not been God. And it's time to move them aside to make room for what it is that God wants to do. Now, I do want to be clear here today. I'm not saying to go and quit your job necessarily. I'm certainly not saying go and quit your marriage. I'm not saying to go and to make a drastic change, but maybe, just maybe, you do have to quit the fantasy that has been surrounding it. Maybe, just maybe, you have to come into a place of the real answer that God is speaking in the midst of your circumstance. But if it is God the thing that you're believing on, you had better stand on it. If the thing that you are believing about yourself is the word that God has spoken, you better not let it go under any circumstance. 
If God has spoken a word over your life, and I can tell you this here today, that before you took your first breath on earth, that God spoke something over your life, that there is a promise that he has for you, that when you find that promise, you had better stand on the promise and not let it go. But first we have to know what is the promise and who spoke it. For the Hebrew people, God had in fact spoken. He was going to give them a deliverer. He was going to send them an answer. But the problem was that before things would get better, they would get much worse. Once again, there was a word spoken by God, but there was an opposition to the word. So question number two again, what is it in our life that has come against the word that God has spoken? Exodus chapter 1 verses 15 through 21 tells us very clearly what the opposition is. Pharaoh once again rises up. He doesn't know Joseph. He sees that these Hebrew people are a problem. And so he makes this declaration that any Hebrew child that was a male would be killed at the time of its birth. He issues this decree much in the way that Herod issues the decree when Jesus is going to be born. Because what happens is that when the enemy is aware that God is doing something, he will always come to steal, to kill, and to destroy what God is doing. And so in the same way that that Pharaoh comes to take out the children and Herod did, in the same way in our lives, there are going to be times where God has spoken a word, where there is a truth, but that the enemy is going to come against what God has spoken. And we need to be aware of it. So Pharaoh comes to kill the children, but thankfully there are some midwives who don't listen to this. And then there is this woman who births this boy named Moses. It says in Exodus chapter 2 verses 1 through 10 that Moses is born and his mother raises him as long as she can. And then she takes this baby Moses, she puts him in a basket, she puts him in the river. I'm sure she was aware that there were some non-Hebrew influential women that would be downstream. She puts the baby in the basket, Moses floats down and he's intercepted by Pharaoh's daughter. The beautiful thing about this is not only is Moses spared but that he is adopted into the house of Pharaoh where he will be protected by the very man who is trying to kill him. And not only that, but that Pharaoh's daughter sends Moses back to his own mom to be nursed and to be raised for a certain period of time. This is something that only God can do. It's a beautiful story and I suggest that everyone reads it. Moses then continues to grow up. Things are going well. He's being positioned accordingly, but then... Moses does something stupid. He takes matters into his own hands. He kills an Egyptian. He realizes that people have found out what he has done, and he takes off into the wilderness. He goes to Midian. He is the one that God has called to be the deliverer for the people of Israel, and now he's on the run. He goes away for a period of time. Acts chapter 7 tells us that this is 40 years that he's away. And it says in Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 through 25, During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery, and they cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And verse 25 says, And God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Another version says, and God noticed. 
He took notice of where they were. You see, in this time where God had sent an answer and a deliverer and he was away, God did not forget his people. God did not forget the promise that he had made to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And I want to say today that there are seasons in our lives where we might feel like God has forgotten where we are. That we might go through challenges and obstacles and seasons where it feels like this is our new reality, that what God has said is in the past and, and what we're facing right now is, is more significant, it's more important, it's the thing that has power. But we have to realize that God knows exactly where we are. That God's word is just as powerful in the waiting as it is in the fulfillment. I'm going to say that again this morning. God's power, his word, is just as powerful in the waiting as it is in the fulfillment of the promise. What God has said he is going to do, and, and this brings us to question number three, which is whose word do you believe? Whose word is it that you believe? What do you believe that has been spoken in your life? For the people of Israel, it would be easy to believe the reports of what they were facing in that moment. But God had spoken a better word. We come back to find Moses in Exodus chapter 3, verses 2 through 6. Moses is walking in the desert. He sees a bush that is on fire. That would not have been something very surprising during that time because the bushes would get dry, they would catch on fire, and they would burn, but there was something very specific and unique about this bush. It was on fire, but the leaves weren't burning up. And so Moses looks over at the bush, and God sees that he has his attention, and he speaks to him, and he says, Moses, Moses, and Abraham answers and he says yes to him and, and he responds and, and God responds to him and says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. It says that Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. I want to look at this here for a moment because I think this is very significant. It's not just that God speaks to Moses out of a burning bush, which I don't know about you. I'm not really impressed by a burning bush. I, I guess it was something very impressive at that time. I, I don't know the analogy that I could use today that would, that would really catch our attention. But for Moses, it was a burning bush. But what's more significant to me is what God speaks to Moses in this moment. It's the way that he introduces himself. He says, I am God. I am the God of Abraham of Isaac and of Jacob. You see, what God was doing was he wasn't just giving his credentials as far as being connected to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What God was saying in that moment is, Moses, I am the God of promise. I am the God who speaks a word and then fulfills what I have said. I am the God who introduced myself to Abraham, your forefather. I am the God that worked in his life and brought about an answer when it seemed impossible. I'm the God of Isaac that led him to find his wife, to find the land that your people will walk into, the land flowing with milk and honey. I am the God of Jacob, the one who would be the fulfillment of the promise, the one that would be turned into Israel. I am that God. 
You see, there are times in our life where we're going through situations where we have to remember not just that there is a God, not just that God loves us, but we have to remember what God has already done. We have to remember that He is the God of promise. That He is not just the God that speaks a word. He is the God who has spoken the word. And what He has said, He will bring to pass. To Moses, he says, I am. I am the God of promise. I am the God of my word. Then we read Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 through 8. The Lord says, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of a land to a good and to a broad land, a land flowing with milk and and Huddy. You see, God reiterates the promise that he made to Israel. But once again, there's something else that I notice in this passage, and it's that God, in bringing to reality the word that he has spoken, doesn't do it all by himself, but that he uses his creation to bring into fulfillment the word that he has spoken. It says in verse 8, it says, And I have come down to deliver them. Now that's interesting to me that he says, And I have come down to deliver them. Because, yes, God could have just spoken a word, and all of Egypt would have been flattened, and the Israelites could have walked right into the promised land. He could have transported them into the promised land if he wanted to. But it says, I have come down. But the way that he chose to bring his promise into fulfillment was to appoint a man and a leader who would be the one that would put his power on display. Isn't it amazing that God still continues to use imperfect people to accomplish his perfect will? Isn't it amazing in our lives that if the promise seems so far away and seems so impossible that God is still able to bring it to pass even though he's doing it through us? Isn't that the very thing that often disqualifies us and makes us feel like we're not worthy of what he has said because we look at our own shortcomings and our failures? And yet God spoke the word and he was the one who was going to bring it to pass. Now apparently Moses wasn't very familiar with this concept of partnership with God. He doesn't really know what it says in Ephesians chapter 1 verses 18 through 20 which says that Paul is praying that the eyes of our heart would be opened, that we would know the hope to which we've been called to, that we would know the power that is at work within us, the same power that rose Christ Jesus from the dead. Moses wouldn't have been aware of that. We can't really fault him for that. So his response to God and God saying, I want you to be the one who are going to lead the children out of Egypt is to say, well, who am I? Chapter 3, verses 11 through 12. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And God responds, But I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. So Moses asked the question, Who should I say has sent me? God says to Moses, I am who I am. Isn't this a very typical God answer? Who should I say sent me? I am who I am. 
He was saying to Moses, I am the all-sufficient one. I am the answer. I am the word. I am the only one that matters. I am the one that when I tell you to go, you go. When I say something is going to happen, it happens. I am that I am. This is who Moses needs to know God as. But then God says, but this is who I want you to tell to the people of Israel. This is how I want you to introduce me. He said, I want you to tell them that I am the Lord, the God of your fathers, once again, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is the one that has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. At the risk of beating this point to death, The truth of who God is is found in his nature as being the God who fulfills his promise. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. This is who I am. This is who I want you to know me as. I want you to know that I have spoken my word and I will fulfill it. And the source of the power that you need to walk in is going to be found solely in the word that I have spoken. In your life today, in my life today, the power that we need to walk in, the answers that we need in the situations that we face, the resolution to the things that seem impossible are only going to be found in the word that has been spoken out of the mouth of God. That is the source of our power. So Moses continues. He continues to question a little bit. He says, God, I don't think I'm the guy. I think you should send somebody else. And well, God responds and we see in Exodus chapter 4 verse 14, it says, then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. Can I tell you that you may have messed up in your life at some point, but you haven't really messed up until it says that God is angry with you in the Bible forever? Like Moses has really messed up here. He's questioned God. He said, I don't think I'm the guy. And so much so that we continue to verse 24. And it says that, and it's this verse that seems really out of place because God is speaking, things are moving along, but it says at a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. You've really messed up when God is visiting you on the way to do the thing that he called you to do. And he's like, all right, you're done. Now, we don't really have time to go deep into this story here today, but this is a story of circumcision. It's a story of covenant. It's a story that speaks to what God called Abraham to do, which was to circumcise himself and Isaac and his children and his descendants. It was a mark of the covenant that God had made with his people. And can I just say here today that as Moses was on his way to do what God had called him to do, There was something in his life that needed to be cut off. There was something in his life that God would not allow him to continue until he removed something that needed to be removed. In this case, it was in the the place with his son. And and thankfully, Moses' wife seems to understand what is going on. She circumcises his son. She, She does this act which speaks to God and God relents and doesn't kill Moses. Moses needed to be very thankful for his wife in that moment, as do all of us as husbands in the room today. It's not even Mother's Day, and I'm going to throw that in there today. We need to be willing in our lives to remove the systems and the ideologies and the ways of thinking that are going to prevent us from moving into the place that God has called us to walk into. 
We continue this story in Exodus chapter 5. I'm going to paraphrase here today. Moses goes before Pharaoh. He says, God has sent me. He wants you to let his people go. And Moses says, well, I don't really know who you are. I don't really know who he is. So the answer is no. And in fact, what I'm going to do is I'm going to make matters worse. And so then he removes all of the, the straw that was needed to make the bricks. This is what the Hebrew people were doing. So he makes life much worse on them. They feel like this is even worse. Moses, what are you doing to us? What's going on? You said things were going to get better. You said that God was coming to save us. And now all that has happened is that we've become a stench in the nostrils of Pharaoh. And now he has made life worse for us. I don't know if I want to say this today, but I'm going to say it anyway. There are times where you are pursuing the promise of God and things appear to be worse before they get better. That God speaks a word, that that you receive a prophetic word, that you're excited for what God's going to do, and all of a sudden the contradiction becomes more apparent than it ever has before. This is what happens to the people of Israel, but this leads us once again to number four, our final question. When God speaks a word... Who is the one that is responsible to, to bring it to reality? When God is the one that speaks the word, who is the one responsible to bring it to a reality? Is it him or is it us? Is it his strength and his ability or is it ours? You see, we can answer these questions here today. We can say, we know that God has spoke the word. We can identify that there have been challenges that come against it, but we know that greater is he that lives in us than he that is in the world. We can recognize that we believe what God has said and only what God has said. But even if we believe those first three things and we get to question number four and we come under the misconception that it is my responsibility to bring to reality the word that God has spoken— then really at the end of the day, I'm left with a promise with no fulfillment. We have to know that it is God who is the one who is going to bring his promise into a reality. The promise that we are meant to walk in is only as legitimate as our obedience to what he has spoken. The promise that we are meant to walk in The power that we are meant to experience is only as legitimate and real to us as our obedience to what he has spoken. You see, when I was pulling into the driveway here today, I felt like God said these words to me. He said, it's not about what you have and what you have to bring. It's about the one who has sent you. If you hear nothing else that I say here this morning, I want you to remember this. That when you walk into the situations of life that seem uncertain, when you go into the places that God has called you to walk into, when you're experiencing the trials and the contradiction of life, it is not what you have to bring. It's the one who sent you. It's not what you have to offer. It's the one who you bring with you. It's the one that you walk with hand in hand. It's the one who has spoken the word over your life. It's he who has spoken the word that is the one who is faithful to bring about his answer, his solution, and the power that you need to walk through the situation that you're facing. Now, I know this isn't fair here today, 
But in the interest of time, we're going to fast forward a little bit through this story. You see, Moses stands before Pharaoh. First, Pharaoh hardens his heart. And then God allows his heart to be hardened even more. Moses says, let God's people go. And Pharaoh says, no, 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 maybe, no, no, no. Okay, no, I changed my mind. And time and time again, the plagues come. The other magicians try to replicate what what Moses and what Aaron are doing, and, and they're able to do it to a certain point, and then they can't. And finally, we get to this Passover, where God says to the Hebrew people, I want you to anoint the lintels and the doorposts of your house with the blood of a lamb, with a, with a specific lamb, a pure and a spotless one. I'm going to come in tonight, and we're going to end this once and for all. He comes into Egypt and he takes out the firstborn child of every man and every woman and every person in Egypt. Except for those who are covered by the blood of the Lamb. Finally after this, Pharaoh said, okay, go. It's time for you to go. And so Moses gets everyone together, not before the Hebrew people take all of the wealth of Egypt with them. They come out of, out of Egypt, I'm imagining pretty excited, pretty ready to go. We're finally getting to leave. We're finally getting to go into what God has called us to. And before long, they find themselves once again in a place of contradiction. They find themselves trapped between the Red Sea and the army of Pharaoh bearing down on them, ready to take their lives. And they ask the question, have you just taken us out into the wilderness to die? But Moses... The one who had stood before God and said, I'm not your guy. The one who had questioned his own ability. The one who didn't know if he would ever be able to do what God had called him to do is now the one that stands before the people of Israel in the worst situation that he could imagine with the armies bearing down and no escape. And yet he is the one who turns to God, who God speaks to. Moses raises his staff and what happens? The word that God has spoken manifests in such power that the sea is split open and the Israelites are able to walk through on dry ground. You see, it wasn't in Moses' ability to be able to perform the miracle. It was in his ability to know what God had said and to trust it more than the circumstances that he was facing. It was in his ability to leave behind the old, to leave behind behind the places where he had relied on his own ability and his own understanding and to trust in what God had said. And God provided not just the deliverer, but the deliverance. 